Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Good evening. How we doing? Three of you doing well. How we doing? Oh, we, got, we got people sitting on the floor. Ooh, we got some open seats. We got like two, three seats over here. If you're sitting on the back trying to find somebody to get really close with during COVID-19, I can I offer great suggestions of not social distancing right over here. We got a couple seats up here if you are looking for a seat. Man, it's good to see your faces. Are you guys ready for fall? You guys ready for the school year? Ready to roll? Like, no, uh, pumpkin spice latte, we ready for that. Ladies, we ready for flannels, sweaters, all that jazz. You guys are asleep tonight. You guys are asleep tonight. Can, you, can I have you stand with me? Let's, let's stand. Let's stand. Let's wake up. Let's wake up. Let's wake up. Come on. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Maybe, maybe, maybe let's do a little bit of this because it's just, it's kind of one of those weeks. It's one of those years. Let's roll the net. You know, you roll the net. Do a little bit of that. Actually, maybe go back the other, the other way. The other way. And then I want, look at the person next to you and say, you look weird. Now sit down. Sit down. Sit down. It's good to see you guys tonight. Hey, if you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Um... Man, I'm, I'm just going to dive, I'm going to dive straight into it tonight. If you have not been with us the past two weeks, um, and if it's, if, if it's your first time here tonight, I'm happy that you're here. Welcome to New Life Church. Um, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Tim Shepard. I get to hang out with the youth here. Um, contrary to popular belief, the one who is just leading worship, his name is Victor. We are uh, not related at all. But he's a cool guy. He's a cool guy. He's younger than me, but he's a cool guy. Um, Romans 3, we are, we are getting quite the word from the Apostle Paul, and he is pulling no punches. If, you've been here the la if you haven't been here the last two weeks, let me catch you up real quick. We are given um, one of the most theologically rich letters in the New Testament by a guy who is about 25, 26 years into his ministry right now. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. And he's writing to a church that is divided, divided among Jews and Gentiles, or as you're going to see in this text, Jews and Greeks, as he's going to continue to refer to them. And this is important for this reason. If you don't know anything about church history, if you don't know anything about scripture, the Jewish nation or Israel was the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. So when looking at, hey, what was God supposed to be like? What are the people of God supposed to look like? You would look at the Jews. But ever since Jesus came in the New Testament, we see a gospel that is not just for a nation, it's not just for an individual people, but it's for all of humanity. And so we have this invitation not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing to a church here that's divided, a church that's, that has people in it that are part of the Jewish nation, so they know the history, they know the lineage, and he's writing to people who have just heard about Jesus last week. And so he's trying to bridge the gap of what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone say faith. faith. This is a big deal. Big deal. If we don't understand what faith is, what a gift it is, we miss the gospel. 
And so week one, we talked about how the Apostle Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of this message. Translated in the Greek, euangelion. It means good news. Good news. And so our question at hand that we're trying to tackle here is what does he mean by good news? What does he mean that the message of Jesus Christ is good news? And so Pastor Chase week one talked about how he's not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, this man has been undone by the glory of God. He's unwavering in his faith. And all that he has and all that he does, he gives to the glory of God. But we have a problem if we're sitting here in this room tonight and we hear those words and if we're honest, we say, that's not me. That's not me. If I'm going to be honest with you, like I, I wrestle with being undone with the glory of God. If you're being honest here tonight, you say, you know what, honestly, I'm pretty wavering in my faith. I'm honestly at a tipping point right now where I'm doubting pretty seriously. And I, I just don't know if this is for me. My parents kind of said, this is what's true, but you're an adult now. You're growing up as men, as women, and you're going, I, I, you happen to make the decision, is this for you? And so last week, we had the privilege of talking about sin, getting to know your sin. And that's not meaning get out here and try to test all of these different sins, but being made aware that in fact, in our sinful nature, we are in opposition to God. I got a newsflash for you in here tonight. I'm not going to apologize for saying it. You're a broken human being. You're a frail human being. You're weak. And everything in your life that you think might satisfy you, our entertainment, our relationships, money, success, popularity, it's always going to fall short. And every time it falls short, it should remind you that you wrestle with the same thing that the rest of humanity, humanity does, and that's sin. And so what we're going to see here in Romans 3 is as clear as a picture of the gospel that you could probably ever get. Clear of a picture of the gospel. Now, if I were to ask you the question in here tonight, what is the gospel, I'm willing to bet that 80% of you, maybe a little less, would begin to tell me a story of a man named Jesus who came and he died for you so that if you believe in him, your sins will be forgiven, and you won't go to hell. And that's what we think of as the gospel. But we have to see it as so much more than that. If you don't see it as good news, hear me, it's not a gospel. If it is not good news, if you don't get excited when you hear it, if it doesn't change the way that you live, this is just another story. It's just another religious fraction in your life. And I think Paul wants to tell us something a little bit different tonight. He's going to continue what he was talking about last week. We're going to start here in 3 verse 9. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. We welcome your presence here tonight. Would you speak to us? Would you make us new in the image of Christ tonight? Would you call those who are lost to be found here this evening? God, would you be glorified? Would we see you as precious? Precious, beautiful, valuable, worthy. Be glorified in your word. Be glorified in this time in your precious and holy name. And if you're with me, can you say amen? Amen. amen. Romans 3 verse 9. This is what it says, brothers and sisters. What then, Paul is talking to the Jews here. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, everyone say all, 
all. If you have your Bible and you're, you're with me, I want you to underline that. All, all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, I want you to listen to this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, everyone say all. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it, speak to the, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, everyone say no human being. No human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. Everyone say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're going to make this real, real simple. I want, you to, I want you to hone in with me. Real, real simple. I know that was a lot of text. 19 verses that can be hard to track with. I'm going to give it to you in four movements. Four movements of what Paul is trying to say right here, okay. Movement number one, all is under sin. All is under sin. This is why I have you repeating this word over and over and over again. All is under sin. I want you to look at this verse in 9b. He says, for we have already charged that all, everyone say all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. And then he begins to define what this looks like. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. Their throats are an open grave. Their feet swift to shed blood. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Brothers and sisters, I need you to hear me. He is defining you and me. Are you with me? There is none that is righteous. No, not one. 
He's looking at humanity and he's making clear, men and women, black and white, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, there is none that is righteous. No, not one. Your throats are an open grave. Your feet are swift to shed blood. The way of peace you do not know. The fear of God is not in you. Now I know this sounds harsh. I'm talking to, to northern Colorado Springs, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders right now. This sounds extreme. You can say that text makes sense for first century Rome. A completely oppressive nation and a completely oppressive generation. But you need to hear me tonight. That word is for you and me. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. And the beginning of you having a relationship with Jesus, the beginning of you taking your faith seriously is going to have to start with you seeing that your sin is a serious deal. Your sin is a serious deal. Now I know you're going to sit here and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I grew up in a Christian home, pastor. I have come to church most of my life. I have not murdered anybody. I have not stolen anything that crazy. Right? Maybe I've been envious of my brother, my sister, my friend, somebody at school. But honestly, like I haven't coveted somebody's wife or husband. Uh, right? Like, like I get that for first century, but that's not me. I've grown up in Christian home. Like, my life's not all that bad. And I need you to hear me tonight. That is going to be the thought that ultimately stifles and destroys your faith. You will not have a relationship with Jesus, a real, authentic, deep relationship with Jesus until you realize that you, me, your personal life, it falls short of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, I need you to hear me. You have sin in your life. You have brokenness in your life. And until you start to take it seriously, we can't know Jesus as a savior. I know that sounds intense. But here's the thing, what, what Paul is getting at here is that you, me, the world, we're guilty. We are guilty. And here's the thing, guilt is a universal experience. Theologians and scholars, they, they define guilt as us not doing or doing what ought to have been done, right? So let me give you an example of a moment. I went to Pine Creek. How many of you go to Pine Creek in here? Okay, I see you. Give them the beak. Let's go, all right? My freshman year, 2008 to 2009, I walk in. I'm barely 100 pounds. I'm tiny. My hair looked ridiculous. I was a tennis player. People laughed at us. It's okay. I get it. My first year at Pine Creek, I will never forget, our junior and senior class was one of the most aggressive, violent classes that the school had ever seen. Almost every week a fight would break out. And I'm not just talking a fight where you have two kind of guys like pulling on each other's shirts. I'm talking like guys' face getting broken, blood everywhere, teeth falling out, girls ripping out each other's earrings. Like it was repulsive. Like, I mean, you'd sit there and watch, and as a freshman, I'm watching two senior linemen who are both 250 pounds get mad at each other over a girl and just start going at it. 
and like we can kind of laugh at it. But as a 100 pound 14 year old, I was terrified. And I remember sitting there going, what could I do? Like I'm watching an act of evil, there'd come a point in a fight where one guy seemed to be the clear winner. And it's about 10 seconds before a teacher shows up. And instead of anybody stepping in, instead of any of the bystanders speaking up, we'd all just sit there and watch and watch as one guy would just get the tar beat out of him. And I remember sitting there and I'd have this gnawing feeling, I should say something. I should, I should do something. And I'd take this mindset, what can I do? I'm 100 pounds. I'm going to get knocked out just with him flicking me. Like, what, what can I go home? I feel guilty. There would be a reality that sets inside me that I didn't do what I ought to have done. Have you ever had this feeling? Ever had this moment where you looked at something that you know you shouldn't have looked at? And that inner feeling just begins to gnaw at you. Where you said something that you know you shouldn't have said. And that inner feeling begins to gnaw at you. Whether you're Christian, whether you're atheist, whether you're a man, you're a woman, you're a student, you're an adult, guilt is a universal experience. And the world has three ways of dealing with guilt. We, as humans, we got three ways of dealing with guilt. The first is an intellectual way. We try to think ourselves out of it. This is what I mean by it. We can't deal with our guilt, so this is what we do. We lower our virtue. We can't handle our guilt, so we say, you know what? I'm human. Everybody deals with that. Everybody lies every now and then, right? Everybody knows they should have stepped in, but they don't. So why should I expect anything more of me? And I begin to ease my conscience by justifying my guilt by saying, it's normal. It's normal. What you should have done, but you didn't do it, it's normal. Don't feel bad about it. So we try to justify it. Intellectually, the second way that the world likes to justify it is physical ways. We like to medicate. And so the simple way to look at this is we can look at adults. Some of you can look at your parents. Some of you can look at older siblings. And people begin to drink themselves to death. They begin to get addicted to substances, drugs, because they can't deal with their own guilt in and of themselves. So we start to medicate it. And before you sit there and go, I'm not worrying about that right now. I need you to hear me. There are other ways to medicate your soul than drugs and alcohol. The amount of time you spend on social media, that's a form of medication. I'm stepping on toes tonight, right? Like, we actually know biochemically, you can be more addicted to looking at your Facebook feed than you can at smoking weed. We know that you can be more addicted to playing your video games I'm about to make Fortnite so mad. You guys playing six hours of Fortnite a day when you should be spending time with Jesus. I hope the guilt sets in right now because I'm bringing good news in a minute. But <laughs> I need you to hear it, right? We medicate. We watch Netflix for five hours. We avoid things. We physically try to, to get rid of our guilt. Our insecurity, the things that we know make us human. So in order to avoid feeling being human, in order to avoid weakness, we try to find something to fill the void. The third way, and this is a common one among the church, 
is a religious way. We like to work our way out of our guilt. We like to look at God and say, you know what? I know that I'm guilty, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in my time. I'm going to spend time with you day by day. I'm going to memorize the word. I'll go to church 50 out of the 52 weeks of the year. I'll tithe. Ten bucks. Hallelujah. Right? And so what we do is we begin to, we get, begin to think that our own works get us out of this. And this third way, Paul has a problem with. Paul has a problem with. Movement two in this text is this. That justification cannot be achieved by works of the law. Look at 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world, everyone say whole world. Whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This is what Paul is saying. If you know church history, you know that there's a moment in the Old Testament where God gave ten commandments. Are you with me? Ten commandments. And we, we can be familiar with them. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any idols. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so we kind of see all these rules, right? Human beings, we're good at seeing rules, right? Now here's the way I want to describe it to you. We are given the law. And what the Jews are thinking right here is the same thing that many of us think. If I keep the law, I'll be okay before the Lord. If you can keep the law, if you can follow those ten commandments, by the time you die and get to heaven, you got your get out of hell free card. Because you followed the law. And what Paul is saying right here is no human being is going to be justified by their works of the law. Let me give you an example of what the law is. I have a friend in here, his name's Troy Francis. Troy, where you at? Where you at? He's back there in the white. He's a tall dude. He's a good guy. Troy is an athlete of athletes, okay? I work out with him. I hate it. He's stronger. He's faster. He's taller. He's better looking. It's rough, okay? Now, me and Troy got to meet a couple years ago playing football together. Playing football at this indoor football league, it was really sketch. It was like a 40-yard field. People could die. It was awful. We had this moment in our football league where Troy subbed out for me. He came in to play defense. And I said, hey, Troy, this guy's about to run a post. Troy said, I got you. Ladies, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. Never will. They say, hike. Troy's sprinting. He's running to the back. Quarterback throws the guy the ball. Troy makes the most athletic play ever. Stops the ball, but stops, plants his leg, tweaks his knee, hits the wall. Tears his ACL. Tears his ACL. Now, here's the problem. He knows that there's something wrong with his knee, so he goes to the doctor. He goes to the doctor and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you an x-ray. We're going to give you an MRI because we don't know what's happening in that knee until we do that. Are you with me? So he goes and he gets in the MRI. He sits there 15, 20 minutes. It's a really sad day. He can't move. He gets the picture back and he sees a completely obliterated ACL. Man, you should hear me. Did the MRI show him what was wrong with his leg? You can answer me. Yes. Did the MRI... Show him what needed to be fixed. Yes. Did the MRI fix his knee? No. This is the way we have to see the law. The law shows us where we are sinful. The law can reveal to us what needs to be fixed. But the law cannot give us new life. Are you with me tonight? 
It cannot give us new life. Your works, yeah, come on, that's, that's an amen. That's an amen. So then here's our problem. Here's our problem. If by God's grace you're sitting with me here tonight, you're hearing this message and you realize you are guilty. You're guilty. You realize that you fall short of the glory of God. You realize that you are guilty for belittling, defaming, disregarding, degrading God himself. You and I are in trouble. We have two options. The first of which that we are not willing to accept but we try to do in our own experience is we try to fix it ourselves. We are guilty. And yet Paul just tells us all of the good behavior in the world cannot make you right before God. But there is good news. Everyone say good news. This is why Paul says I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Movement three, God has acted on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. Can we put that third point up there on the screen? God has acted on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me show you it right here. Verse 21, but now, everyone say now. now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So he says, look, quit looking at the law to see how you get your life right. Quit looking at the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is the picture that we're given. He says you can't fix your life on your own. But here's what you can do. God has offered you grace in the person of Jesus Christ. So that for all who believe in Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior, legally this is what it looks like. You're standing on trial. God is on the throne looking to try your life. And the accuser comes in and says, I want you to look at Tim Shepard. He's guilty. He falls short of the glory of God. He is defamed, belittled, degraded your name. The wages of his sin is death. And right as God justly is about to execute that very sentence, I got a mediator that stands up and says, objection. His name is Jesus. And he says, I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for it. And that bill is paid in full. So this is what I need you to see. The sentence that Tim needed, the death that Tim needed, the wrath that Tim needed, that got put on me on the cross. And when you look at my son Tim, what you're going to see is perfect, holy, spotless, blameless, righteous Jesus. Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the good news is not that you and I have acted for our salvation, but that God has acted for us in Jesus Christ. And here's the final point, and it's really, really good news. You say, well, that's great, Tim. How does that happen? How do I go about that? And Paul answers it here that justification can only be received as a gift. Everyone say gift. Can I get the band to come back up here? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? Gift. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. What Paul is saying right here, oh, it's such good news. When you ask yourself the question, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? How do you, how do I, how does the world have a relationship with Jesus? How can we receive this guiltless sentence? How can we receive the new life? You know what his answer is here? Paul's looking at you. He's looking at me. He's looking at the church in Rome. He says, you want to have a relationship with Jesus? The only way. The only way you'll have a relationship with Jesus is if you receive it as a gift. Later in Romans 6.23, Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, look at that. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. I want to I give you good news tonight. You are not the one in charge of putting your life back together. You are not the one in charge of fixing your brokenness. You are not the one in charge of taking care of your guilt when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation of the gospel, is that he who knew no sin, the God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who came and lived a perfect and sinless life, unlike you and me, He became our sin. That as he sat there with nails driven through his hands, his feet, 39 lashes on his back, his flesh mutilated, a crown of thorns in his head. That he thought of you and me. He thought of you and me. And how as we stand before God and the accuser is just letting us have it for all of our brokenness. And we know it to be true. That he would step in and say, I paid for that. I paid for it. I paid for it. So that when God the Father can look at you, can look at me, can look at those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know what he sees? Perfection. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. He sees new life. He sees one who's worthy to be loved. It's good news. This is why Paul's not ashamed of it. He looks at the world and he says, I know I was jacked up and that I am jacked up. 
I know that I was a murderer of Christians. I know that I was not righteous. I know that my mouth was an open grave. I know that the way of peace, I did not know it. I know that I had no fear of God in my eyes. But despite it, Jesus came running. He came running. And he met me where I'm at. He fixed my life. He gave me new life. And he invited me to walk with him. And hear me. He's here to do the same thing for you and me tonight. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is that we in fact boast in our weakness. That 2,000 years ago on the cross, the Son of God outed me. And he told the entire world that Tim is pathetic, Tim is weak, Tim is broken, and yet I came to die for him anyway. This is good news, but it can't be earned. So I implore you, brothers and sisters, hear me. My prayer for you tonight, can you stand with me? I know this is serious, I know it's heavy. I know you can be sitting here and go like, man, this guy just yells at us the whole time. I'm sorry. My voice is going to be gone by the time I'm 30, and I'm okay with that. You know why? Because every ounce that is within me, if I can preach this message that Jesus is king, Jesus is king, Jesus is king. He's enough for your life. He's enough for your life. He came to set you free. He came to make you new. He came to give you new life. I'll, I'll bleed my vocal cords to tell you it because he's worthy of it. It's the only way to live. The only way to live. You want to spend your life trying to work, trying to perform. You want to spend your life trying to medicate it, trying to avoid it. There's a better way. And his name is Jesus. And he's here to meet you tonight. He's here to meet you tonight. He's here to meet you tonight. He's here to meet me tonight. <laughs> this is the good news. So brothers and sisters, as we pray the prayer of confession tonight, I want to do it with faith. I want to do it with boldness. I want to do it as a response to an invitation from a God who saw your guilt, who sees your guilt, and more importantly sees that you got no ability to absolve that guilt. But tonight has come running for you in the person of Jesus. So that those who can say, most merciful God, have mercy on me. You know what we get? Mercy. We get mercy. We get the freedom to live new life. So as we say this prayer, I want you to say it with faith. I want you to shout it if you believe it. Because this is good news. This is good news. If you don't believe it, you don't believe it. I'm not going to shame you for that. But if you believe it, we best act like we believe it. Are you with me tonight? Come on. Come on. Come on, let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. 
for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And if you can believe that, say amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.